the internet cannot run on a single computer. Like we're, we're, we're never going to be able to accommodate not only the, the demand for block space, but also the heterogeneous requirements for things like, uh, decentralization and latency and execution environments. Like we can't, uh, encompass all of those in the single chain. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. March is just around the corner, and I wanted to make sure to give you a quick reminder to not top tick your prices of your DAS London tickets. If you use codes 0x10 at checkout, you can lock in a 10% discount on your ticket. Don't miss out on your chance to get ahead of the curve. I'll see you in London. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. We have an awesome interview lined up today with Brendan Farmer, the co-founder of Polygon, which is exploring the frontiers of ZK innovation and helping to scale Ethereum. Today, is uh tuesday february 6th and as a reminder before we jump into the episode you can use code 0x research 10 at app.blockworksresearch.com for 10 percent off your annual subscription but anyways brendan let's jump right into this um you dropped a blog post yesterday actually uh and we can link to that in the show notes but you basically made two really big claims you said that no l1 or l2 can scale throughput equivalent to that of the internet and that scaling blockchains is actually scaling access to liquidity and shared state Found that super interesting. So I just want to peel back a couple layers because there's a lot to unpack there. Can you just dive into that thesis, uh, if you would? Yeah, sure. So I think to me, these claims are, are kind of self-evident, but I think that they they kind of are at the heart of the, the scaling debates that we're having now, which are between sort of the monolithic and the modular approaches. And so obviously the monolithic approach says, um, you know, we, we just need to build uh, more scalable chains and we can have a single state machine that can sort of scale to to accommodate all of the demand for crypto and for block space the, the modular approach says um you know we we should actually we, we shouldn't have a single chain we should instead have uh different layers that sort of compose with one another and we can effectively have like a multi-chain ecosystem at the execution layer level where uh like we we, we can uh, accommodate demand for block space by essentially creating more chains and um and and you know it, it like as the demand for block space grows then uh we can add more chains to to sort of cover that and so the claims that i made in my post were uh kind of against both of these views so against the monolithic approach i i basically argued that uh like the internet cannot run on a single computer like we're we're, we're never going to be able to accommodate not only the the demand for block space, but also the heterogeneous requirements for things like uh, decentralization and latency and execution environments. Like we can't uh, encompass all of those in the single chain, and uh, and so then on the the modular side, like if we, if you think about what we're really trying to do when we talk about scaling in crypto, it's like scaling access to liquidity and to shared state. So if we just add like a bunch of chains and uh, none of them have any liquidity, then we're not really like accomplishing what we set out to to accomplish. Like like it, it, in some sense, we, we already have like, there, there are a lot of empty blocks that already exist on a lot of dead chains and we still have this scalability problem uh, that we're facing. And so um, basically that this is all to lay out like a third approach, which is the aggregated approach, which is like we need to figure out a way to scale access to shared state and liquidity in a multi-chain ecosystem. That's a great uh, summation uh, of your thesis, essentially. I appreciate that. And it's good context for the listener. But can you dive into a little bit deeper into the aggregation layer or the ag layer, as you guys call it for short, and I guess how that architecture fixes some of those problems you just described? Yeah, sure. So if you think about like where we're at now in the Ethereum ecosystem, we have a lot of rollups. So we have optimistic rollups like Arbitrum and Optimism. We have ZK rollups like Polygon ZKVM, like Starknet, like ZK Sync. Um, and if you think about what it would take, so so to back up, right now liquidity is fragmented across uh, all of these different chains. Um, it's difficult to uh, like to access state that's on one chain and, and not another. And so if you think about like what it would take for users to trustlessly bridge state or value or assets between rollups, like what does that look like? So if I have chain A and chain B and they're both rollups that sell to Ethereum, 
Like, what does it take for me to send a, a message from chain A to chain B and to do so in a trustless manner? So it requires uh, chain B to wait for some sort of proof uh, from chain A, whether like an optimistic proof, which is basically just waiting for the duration of the fraud, the fraud proof uh, dispute period, um, or a ZK proof. And so, so I need that. And so from that perspective, like we already can't accommodate uh, uh, optimistic rollups in this model because users can't wait for seven days to receive like a trustless cross-chain message. And so, but, but even with ZK rollups, there, there's this issue where like proof generation takes, you know, right now it's two to three minutes in the future, it might be like 15 to 30 seconds. And so you have to generate a proof and then you have to wait for that proof to be accepted and finalized on Ethereum before chain B can accept uh, that message from chain A. And so the, I guess like the, the design goal of the ag layer is um, we need a way to do this in a way that preserves trustlessness, uh, but operates at like much, much lower latency. And so you can think of the ag layer as like a decentralized service that is run by, uh, by stake nodes. And it's in charge of uh, accepting um, uh, like state updates and proofs from ZKL2s in the Polygon ecosystem and ensuring that those uh, state updates that, roll, that are sort of the result of cross-chain transactions are consistent um, and can be settled to Ethereum in a way that's safe. And so we do this with proof aggregation and you know, we, we can uh, dive into exactly how that works. Yeah, I think the idea of the aggregation aggregation there is very interesting because I've always felt that shared state has been like it's one of the biggest unlocks of crypto and like blockchain over a siloed state, which is kind of what you see a lot of in like Web2 and big tech companies. And obviously one component of the aggregation there is the Polygon CDK. Could you mind talking a little bit about how Polygon CDK fits into the broader vision of the aggregation layer? Yeah, sure. So the Polygon CDK is the Polygon Chain Development Kit, um, and it's just a way for anyone to spin up new chains. So basically, to add block space in the Polygon ecosystem, and uh, the CDK basically admits a lot of choice and flexibility. So um, you could run a, a chain that uses a Type One prover or a Type Two prover. Um, you could right now it it only supports zkVMs, but in the future it will support. Uh, alternate VMs like Maiden or you know uh, other things that we're working on, and uh, and so the idea is like you basically give anyone the ability to uh, to launch a chain in this ecosystem that has full sovereignty and full choice, um, and it exists alone. But through the aggregation layer, it's able to interoperate with other chains in the Polygon ecosystem at super low latency, and so it can access this pool of shared liquidity and shared state. Um, and so you can think of like the Polygon CDK chains as like these uh, sort of this this like space of, of Polygon block space. And the ag layer is the thing that stitches them together into, uh, you know, a unified environment for liquidity and state that feels like uh, using a single chain. I wanted to follow up there. Uh, I'm going slightly off the book here, but I think... There's like, if you think about it, right, like you can have like, quote unquote, an infinite amount of like Polygon CD chain, uh, CDK chains, or I guess like other rollups that lie under the aggregation there. Is there some point at which like too much is too much for this aggregation there? Or is it like, quote unquote, actually infinite block space? I hate to use the word infinite, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I sort of cringe a little bit uh, inside anytime that we use like infinite scalability or infinite box space. I, I think we have a similar reaction there. Um, but I do think that the aggregation layer has some properties that make it really, really scalable. So you can sort of think of the aggregation layer as just accepting these like chain states and proofs. And that uh, process like for one, it it only requires a causal ordering. Like we we, we don't need to agree on like a canonical uh, total ordering of all of these messages that the ag layer is receiving. Um, the acceptance and processing of proofs and the aggregation of proofs is fully parallelizable and can be done with by just a single node. 
Um, because what you're doing is you're doing some cryptographic work. You're taking some proofs from a bunch of different chains and you're combining them into a single chain. But at the end of that process, or you're combining them into a single proof, but at the end of that process, like what you're left with is basically a certificate, which is a proof uh, that shows that you behaved honestly. And so it, it, it kind of like has different properties from uh, what we've seen in the past, like sharding schemes and, and, and sort of uh, mechanisms that rely on crypto economic security. And so I do think that there's, uh, we need to build it and we need to figure out where the bottlenecks are in practice. Um, but I think that there is reason to be optimistic that like this would scale largely with like the total compute available in the system to generate uh, uh, aggregated proofs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Another thing that when you mentioned scaling and the whole concept of aggregation there is what type of novel use cases or unique applications do you think the aggregation there will enable? I think one idea is like a distributed AMM. It's something that I've been like really excited about, but no one's really like built it because it kind of partially seemed like the tech wasn't there. But when the aggregation there came along, I'm like, wait, this is kind of like built for uh, distributed AM. So we'd love to hear like what you're looking forward to. Yeah, I, I mean, that, I think distributed AMMs are, are an amazing use case. And um, I think just being able to trustlessly permit use cases uh, like Uniswap v4 and, and like different ways to route liquidity through an ecosystem uh, at super low latency, low cost. Um, I think that that's just a really interesting uh, um, use case. I, 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 I do think like in some sense, the way that I view it is less like enabling novel use cases and just like an enabling kind of like a bigger, like combinatorial explosion of existing use cases. And, and I think it's just really powerful to be able to, um, to like, be an app developer and have complete control over your your chain, so, so your uh, your execution environment, uh, your sequencer, and, and you're able to like completely control and customize the experience that you're offering to users. But at the same time, uh, you can take advantage of shared liquidity and shared state that already exists in the ecosystem. And so you don't need to bootstrap uh, liquidity for a marketplace for the NFTs that you're that you're issuing. You, you can just issue those NFTs. Um, and so I, I think that we will see novel use cases emerge, uh, but I think that there's like, for me, a lot of reason to be really excited uh, just in like enabling that that simple interaction. In terms of synchronous and uh, asynchronous, I guess, interoperability or composability or whatever you want to call it, um, what are the primary trade-offs between the two? Like what are the differences, I guess, not trade-offs and like, in the blog post that you wrote last night or dropped last night, you mentioned that you might have to have like whitelisted almost clusters of chains that like purposefully support each other in order to get that atomic composability. Can you kind of dive into just the two different architectures and I guess out of the box uh, for the aggregation layer, like what will be supported? Yeah, sure. So, so the ag layer uh, will support uh, basically two modes of interaction, the asynchronous direction where you're depending on some other chain that's sending you a message if you're a chain. Um, and then the second mode is, uh, which will come at some point in the future, is the ability to accept atomic bundles of transactions. So this is like the synchronous mode where you have transactions that are executing at the same time across a bunch of different chains. Um, and uh, either all of those transactions execute successfully or none of them are included uh, on any chain. And so I think that there are challenges uh, with the second approach. Um, you basically need to coordinate uh, like execution across all of these chains. And like before you generate a proof, um, if you want super low latency, uh, you need to be able to guarantee that like state on chain A is locked uh, until uh, sort of chain D is able to uh, determine whether it can successfully execute this transaction. And so, so I think that that's like that uh, sort of involves a little bit more complexity. But the way that I see it is the ag layer is sort of just concerned with providing safety. So, so it can ensure that there's no way for a chain to uh, include an atomic bundle when uh, like the other transactions in that bundle aren't executed successfully. 
And so the other half of that uh, picture is like, how do we actually execute those transactions? How do we guarantee liveness um, for all the chains involved? And I think that what the ag layer enables is for like novel and emergent coordination infrastructure to basically arise on top of the ag layer. So, so this could be things like shared validity sequencing, or it could be things like relays that fundamentally um, like find the best solution for coordinating chains to basically ensure synchronous uh, composability and execution. And so I, I think that's sort of the way that we see it. You, you can do a lot with asynchronous um, cross-chain interoperability, and, and that's where we'll start. Um, but I'm excited to see like, you know, different projects and, and uh, like different infrastructure providers in the space basically figure out the optimal solutions for both asynchronous and synchronous composability. Okay, that's really helpful. And then on the asynchronous front, um, so basically taking a step back, actually, you've got the unified bridge contract on Ethereum, you've got the aggregation layer, and then you've got all the Polygon CDK chains on top. So everyone is going to at least be using Ethereum for settlement. But what happens in like this modular world where, you know, obviously we're seeing a new Celestia chain every single day or soon to be EigenDA and probably Avail. So what kind of trust assumptions do you introduce when you have alternative DA layers, but then you also have, um, you know, chains that still rely on Ethereum for DA? Like, do you lose anything there? No. So, so the way that we've designed the system is, is so security is localized. And so there, there are basically like two things that can happen. Like you, you can have a, a data availability withholding attack um, that can be launched on a specific chain. And we, we can't prevent this unless every chain is using Ethereum for data availability. But I, I think it's, a re, it's reasonable to make trade-offs for users to prioritize cost over full Ethereum security for data availability. And so the design goal for us is just ensuring that uh, if some Validium chain or some chain that uses Celestia for data availability um, is attacked, that that won't affect any other chains in the ecosystem. And so, like, if you think about how the ag layer works, like each chain is basically providing the like minimal amount of data that it needs to guarantee that like a data withholding attack on one chain uh, can't affect the continued operation of another chain. Um, but the the second issue that uh, that also comes up is like, like you said, we, we have a unified bridge. And so all L1 assets for all chains are deposited into a single contract. And this is really, really good because it allows us to have fungibility uh, of these assets across different chains. So, so I can uh, take L1 ETH and I can send it from like the ZKV, the Polygon ZKVM to the OKX chain to the POS chain. I don't have to deal with uh, like a wrapped synthetic version of that token where I have to find liquidity to swap into the native version. Um, but the problem is, is that we don't want, like we want to offer full freedom and sovereignty to all chains in the ecosystem. And so they should be able to pick their own execution environment. But uh, like, let's say that someone chooses an execution environment and develops a, a zero knowledge prover for it. And that prover is not sound. Like we can't have a situation where an unsound prover on some random chain can drain the entire bridge uh, of all funds deposited in the entire ecosystem. Like that would be an absolute disaster. Um, and so what part of what the Aglayer does is it ensures that like chain, uh, like cross chain transfers of L1 and L2 issued assets are conserved between chains. So you, you could have a situation where some random chain deploys an unsound prover and is exploited, but an attacker can only drain up to the amount of tokens that are locked or deposited in that chain. Um, and so this is like a really, really important point that uh, like we, we want to provide fungibility and, and a good user experience, but it can't come at the expense of, of safety. What's up, everyone? March is approaching fast, and I want to give you another reminder not to miss out on DAS London. It is coming. It's right around the corner, and it's in March from the 18th to the 20th. We have three full days of content. This is your chance to bump shoulders with some of the world's top executives and have open dialogue with both attendees and speakers. We're going to be focusing on a range of topics that I'll let Ren discuss for you. First on the list, we have Bitcoin Catalyst, the halving and spot ETF. Next, we have a view from the buy side from investors on things like strategy, portfolio allocation, and more. 
more. We also have a topic on RWA's tokenization and stablecoins, which I think we can all agree are going to play a large role in crypto's future. We'll also talk about global regulatory frameworks like compliance best practices and the evolution of global standards that are shaping the global investment landscape. We'll also have someone from an institutional front to talk about infrastructure such as banking and payments with financial giants like Visa and JP Morgan. And last on the list, the macro case for digital assets. So don't miss out on this monumental event. Seats are limited, so be sure to register today by hitting the link in the description and using the promo code 0x10 to save 10% on tickets. See you in London. You mentioned sort of like this scenario where there's a a faulty prover, right? Um, And I know in your blog post that you released last night, you talked about this kind of fundamental trade-off between interoperability and liveness. Is there a scenario where, for example, if chain ABCD have agreed to be interoperable with each other through like whatever means like relays running like food nodes for each other's chains that and the end state of the aggregation there when we reach sort of like the atomic bundles that a chain could quote unquote like ddos um other chains or even the entire like aggregation there by submitting like in incorrect or like not valid uh messages or transactions on their like on this malicious chain is that like a possibility and would you mind diving into the trade-offs? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. So, so the the post sort of goes into like the different trade-offs and, and kind of this tension between um, like liveness and low latency interoperability. And so, w- what I would say is like first, uh, chains have no requirement in Polygon to even use the Eclair. They, they can submit batches directly to Ethereum. They, they can completely ignore the Eclair uh, entirely. Um, this would be a pretty bad thing for them because they would have to pay the verification cost for their proofs uh, themselves versus having it amortized across the entire Polygon ecosystem. But from there, there are also like different liveness trade-offs that, that they can make within the Agler. So like the, uh, the, the issue with liveness is basically a chain decides to accept a bundle or uh, like depend on an external chain state and that chain state either is invalid or the chain doesn't submit a proof. Um, and so there, there, there are different like mitigation mechanisms and, and different trade-offs the chains can make. So like chain B that's depending on chain A could only accept a chain state from chain A with a proof. Or it, it could it could only accept a chain state from chain A uh, if it's running a full node for chain A and it knows that it's valid and like worst case chain B could create the proof. Um, like sort of, Proceeding further down those trade-offs, like chain B could only accept uh, a chain state from chain A if um, like a crypto economically secured relay uh, attests that the uh, state that it received from chain A is is valid. And so worst case, the, the relay could provide a proof to the interoperator. Um, and sort of the, the like most, uh, I guess, like risky trade-off would be the chain B accepts a, a chain state from chain A just without any guarantees. It just, the, this is like the trust me, bro, uh, approach. And, uh, and so in, in that case, if chain A is submitting an invalid chain state, then chain B would need to, uh, like it, it, it's block or wouldn't be finalized, uh, in the ag layer and it would need to go back and remove the transactions that depend on chain A and then submit a new block. And so this is like, I, I would say not the end of the world. Um, that like this fault would be detected within you know a thirty second to a minute window, um, and so but but there would be a rework. Um, but I think that it's really important to note that uh, this should be an extremely rare occurrence because it requires the chain A itself to be misbehaving. And so th- this can't be caused by some user. It, like it, it, it can't be like like a random attacker can't. Uh, can't make this happen. It's fundamentally uh, the fault of of the chain that provides an invalid um, chain state. And so, like you said, like there there are a lot of penalties that can be applied to that chain. Like if it's crypto economically secured, then there could be slashing. Um, it could be kicked out of the uh, out of the ag layer. Uh, it could be blacklisted. And so, I, I I think that fundamentally, like for us the design goal is to like admit as many choices and options for chains to be able to pick the trade-offs that make sense for them between 
liveness guarantees and low latency. I wanted to follow up on something you said there. Um, you say like that a chain could be kicked out of the ag layer. My understanding was that the aggregation layer was kind of like something permissionless. Is there a scenario where like, for example, DAO governance can like completely ban this chain from ever being interval, interoperable as part of the aggregation layer or like, how, how does that work? Yeah, so I, I, I think TBD, whether we want to like make that a governance decision and and sort of maintain a, a blacklist of, of chains or, or deregistered chains, um, you know, we're, worst case, you, you could have a situation where like validators would opt to ignore batch updates that are submitted to the Agler from that chain just voluntarily. Um, I, I, I think that what you would more likely see is um, other chains gossiping about uh, you know, a chain that had equivocated or that had provided uh, an invalid state, and they would just opt not to interoperate with um, with that chain. But but it would be primarily like a voluntary uh, move on the part of chains. It sounds to me like obviously zk proofs are going to be like the secret sauce to all of this. So where are we at there? Like how you know where did we where were we two years ago and where are we today? I know you guys have some pretty exciting stuff that you've been working on, so I'd love to get more takes on that. Yeah, so uh, so you know, two years ago, I think yeah, two years ago, um, my uh, I I had started a company or a project with uh, with Daniel Lubrov, and, and we were acquired by Polygon as part of their big push into zk tech and, and sort of transitioning from being a side chain to really building in the, in the L2 ecosystem. And I think that people um, maybe still aren't aware that like Polygon has really led the industry and the development of performant zero-knowledge proof systems. And so two years ago, we released Plonky 2 and, and Starkey. Um, and Starkey is still the most performant uh, proof system that's that's available to people. And so uh, I think in the interim, we've sort of been quietly working on two things. So the first is Plonky 3, which is the follow-up to, uh, to Plonky 2 and Starkey. Um, and we call it Plonky 3, but that's sort of um, it's like sort of a misnomer because it's not really related to Plonk at all. It's it's a Stark library um, that supports a variety of different fields and 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 different uh, variants on, on proving systems. And we've seen already like a really really amazing performance improvement um, in Plonky 3, and we expect over the next few months to be sharing like some pretty mind blowing. Uh, results. Um, and then the second thing that, that we've been working on is uh, like a follow-up to the ZKVM prover. And so this is kind of the a more performant next-gen uh, version of the prover. And it has like a pretty special feature, which is that it supports a type one mode. And so we, we're kind of borrowing the uh, the Vitalik's framework for like classifying provers where you have type four, which uh, like can't generate proofs for anything EVM related. And then it kind of goes to type two where you can support uh, existing Ethereum contracts and tooling, but not existing chains. And so type one is, is kind of like the highest level of compatibility with Ethereum. And it allows you to generate proofs for any existing EVM chain. And so we've built that and it's actually really, really performant. So we have been generating proofs for uh, existing real Ethereum L1 blocks. Um, and we're seeing average proving cost across like a huge variety of transactions um, as uh, like between two tenths and three tenths of a cent. And actually in the next few weeks, we're going to be reducing this by 35%. So it will be like between one tenth and two tenths of a cent. Um, and so th th this is like a really huge breakthrough, I think, for the Ethereum community because it allows us to like conceive of a future in which Ethereum itself is proven with zero knowledge proofs. So, so you could like browse to a website and that website could uh, be using some or accessing some state on Ethereum and it could be effectively like running a full node in the browser because it's able to instantly verify every transaction that's ever happened on Ethereum with a tiny zero knowledge proof. Um, and so that's like kind of a mind blowing future when you think about like crypto kind of like infiltrating into, uh, different areas of our life. Um, and 
the the second thing is like for Polygon, there are a lot of EVM chains that were either launched as like alt L1s or side chains, like the Polygon POS chain is a good example, or even optimistic rollups. And having a type one prover allows us to instantly and seamlessly onboard those chains into our ecosystem and into the ag layer. And they can immediately become ZKL2s. They don't have to do anything. There's no migration. Um, we just start generating proofs and they immediately get the security guarantees uh, of a ZKL2. Um, and so I think that that's just like kind of a paradigm shift for how we think about scaling and like how we think about the maturity of, of ZK tech. That's highly compelling, that last part. Peeling back an extra layer there. Is this going to be like an open source thing? Like, why wouldn't the optimism super chain just take this and, and apply it to their own super chain? Um, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. What, what's the... What's... So, so that's that's a good question. So the, the first uh, point is, yes, it's released under an MIT uh, Apache 2 license. And so it's completely open source and, and free for anyone to use. Um, my response to this, your second question, why wouldn't optimism just take this and use it for their super chain? I think like the way that we see the world is that all of this proving tech and sort of execution environment stuff will become commoditized. So it, it's all free and open source software. Like there's no long-term moat that exists uh, or and no network effects that exist from uh, developing kind of execution environment or, or proving tech. But there are long-term durable benefits and network effects that accrue around the ag layer. And so... I sort of get frustrated when I hear from optimistic teams, um, oh, you know, the, like we're using the best tech for now and pretty soon when the when ZK tech is ready, we're just going to switch to ZK tech. And the problem with that view is like, you're not building the right thing. The thing that you should be building is the ag layer because fundamentally the ag layer allows for like a unified experience across all of these chains and network effects will accrue to the ag layer. Like liquidity will exist in the Polygon ecosystem. And any chain that brings economic value to that ecosystem, there will be a positive sum interaction there because like if you bring a chain that mits a bunch of uh, high value NFTs or, or you know, creates economic value via a game, like you will be able to plug into existing liquidity in the Polygon ecosystem and vice versa, like the Polygon ecosystem will be able to interact with uh, your assets and your users. And so like fundamentally the ag layer is what we should be building and you know, I, I, I hope that OP does uh, build on, on our proving tech and, and, and join the, uh, the ag layer. I think that would be a, a, a good positive something for, for everyone involved. You mentioned something about sort of like the value accrual, right? And in terms of the modular blockchain thesis, which I think we're seeing is slowly starting to play out, you know, people have often thought about the different layers, execution, consensus, settlement, data availability. And I think a lot of people have been trying to answer the question, where does like value accrue in terms of like the token for each of these like layers of the stack? Do you foresee, and I think so far, like most of that premium has gone to the settlement layer. Do you foresee a world in which like the aggregation layer becomes like an additional layer of like the modular modular blockchain stack and that actually becoming the value accrual layer or like the dominant area of value accrual? Yeah, I think, you know, to give our perspective, we are less concerned with like where like value accrual at this stage of of development, like like I, I think right now everyone, every project in this space should be concerned with finding product market fit and like getting people to use their ecosystem. And so thinking about like where we can extract rent or where we can sort of like divert value from users to our token is not like, I, I think it's a completely fair question and it's like a good question to be asking, but it's not something that we feel like we have to completely answer now. So. With that being said, I, I I do think that there is room for value accrual at the ag layer. Um, like the the way that we think about it is uh, like if we grow the Polygon ecosystem, Polygon is going to be operating some public chains in that ecosystem, and so like any sort of positive sum or like growing the pie uh, mechanism is good for Polygon. Like it, it, it's much better than if we tried to have an ecosystem where we run all the chains and we sort of like you know, are are trying to extract as much value as possible. Um, There's also, I think, a lot of room 
elsewhere in that stack, like by running coordination mechanisms, by running sort of shared validity sequencers that enable atomic uh, transactions and synchronous composability, I, I think those are areas where there's the possibility to like for value to accrue in, in a way that's not kind of rent seeking or um, or extractive. Um, I'm not sure that the ag layer will become like the point of value, like value accrual or sort of value extraction. I, I think that the settlement layer is, it will, will still sort of dominate. But um, I think that the ag layer will be a really important point where network effects uh, begin to accrue and, and where like um, it becomes really obvious that you should be in the Polygon ecosystem because it's just a no-brainer. You, you get to preserve sovereignty and, and freedom for your chain. Um, but you get to plug into uh, shared liquidity and shared state and offer a better experience to your users. Makes a lot of sense to me too. Growing the pie over uh, just trying to extract value. I, I see the the logic there, but I do want to ask, uh, why do you think the ZK EVMs on mainnet today have failed to see significant traction when compared to Arbitrum and Optimism? Do you think it's incentives? Do you think it's uh, maybe you just didn't have that 10x cost reduction, which maybe now you do with the uh, subsent uh, cost for transactions. But yeah, I would just love to get your take there. Yeah, so I think it's a lot of things. So I think the biggest culprit is that uh, Arbitrum and OP had uh, a really long head start. And so they've been able to like build a market position that I think is difficult to displace. And like the market right now, it's sort of like a down cycle. I don't think it's demanding super, super high throughput and scalability. I think it's demanding like good execution and access to liquidity and incentives for a small group of users. Um, and so I, I think that's part of it. I, I, I do think that there's also a lack of understanding that uh, of like the true costs of an optimistic rollup. So we're, we're, we're going to be like writing a post on this, but um, it turns out that optimistic rollups are actually a lot more expensive uh, than ZK rollups, if you look at the actual costs that are borne by users. And so if you look like, like we measure kind of capital inefficiency as, uh, as, a, as like sort of correlated to, um, the, or as directly correlated to, um, the fees that users pay to third party bridges to exit the chain, because ba basically optimistic rollups like impose this cost on users where if they want to exit via the native bridge, they need to lock their funds for seven days. And so users that don't want to do that are forced to pay uh, fees to third-party bridges. And so if you look at the aggregate fees that have been paid by users, say on Arbitrum, um, they're like tens of millions of dollars. And if you compare that to the cost of ZK proving every single Arbitrum transaction in history, that's like less than a million dollars. And so I, I think that there's this huge cost discrepancy that's not really being felt by users because a lot of the usage is incentivized and there are airdrops and sort of there are all these like distorting forces that that are affecting behavior. But I think if you actually pull back and, and see like what the structural uh, advantages of ZK rollups versus optimistic rollups are, there's a really, really clear argument um, that ZK rollups are, are superior. And, and like we, we just feel that the tech is here and, and this year we'll, we'll actually see um, some shifts in, in user behavior. I think one of the points you made in your blog post last night was that this aggregation layer differs from a shared sequencer. Um, and, you know, shared sequencers, especially for optimistic rollups, introduce, for example, like additional latency, additional trust assumptions. And I think my question here was that the aggregation layer unifies liquidity and shared state across all of the different chains. Right? And I can understand how it removes the need for a shared sequencers in order to provide the same like trust assumptions for like atomic interoperability or like asynchronous or like synchronous composability. But what would a shared sequencer on the aggregation layer look like? Because I think maybe not now, but eventually people will start picking up on, for example, like cross-chain MEV. And even with the aggregation layer, like perhaps like searchers or some other entity would want some concept of ordering transactions across like these different rollups. Uh, so yeah, could you run, run through like what that potentially would look like? Yeah, sure. So I think to, to, to hit on your, your first point first, um, it, it's like a real 
real structural disadvantage for optimistic rollups um, to have to rely on, on like a shared validity sequencer or, you know, the requirement to run a full node for every uh, chain that, uh, you know, you're the chain that you're sequencing is interacting with. Like that's a real barrier and a real bottleneck for scalability. And so I think like structurally in my, like my view is that this will prevent optimistic ecosystems from actually scaling because we, we know that like if you have to run a full node for, you know, 10,000 or a million chains, that's just not a practical, well, like we're, we're sort of back at the monolithic uh, view of the world. Um, and so uh, to, to get to your, uh, your question, like would there ever be a shared sequencer that runs on top of the aggregation layer? Um, that basically handles MEV and and like or, or at least like redistributes MEV. Um, I think that there could be, but I think it's important to note that like the the main benefit of the ag layer is that it doesn't impose like a coordination mechanism on every chain, and so you could have chains where there is a lot of cross chain MEV. Like like let's say you have a DeFi chain and then you have a bunch of uh, Validiums that are batching transactions to be executed on that DeFi chain. Um, there will be a ton of cross-chain MEV that might be extracted uh, in this setup. But uh, I think that while you could imagine having a shared sequencer for in that case, for that cluster of chains, um, you wouldn't need to have that same infrastructure, uh, like managing coordination between those chains and like the, some random gaming chain. Or uh, like like you, 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 there, there are cases where you don't need synchronous composability between sets of chains, and so fundamentally, like a huge advantage of the ag layer is that it doesn't impose a single coordination mechanism for every single chain in the ecosystem. Chains can organically decide like how they want to coordinate with one another, and can kind of pick the uh, the optimal trade off for for their use case and and you know their uh, their, their users needs from the user experience perspective in the end state of this like do you envision like one wallet and you're just doing all these different activities using different chains and you really don't even notice is that kind of like what you envision yeah i mean to me that's kind of the holy grail i do think it's like easy like 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 we're, we're building infrastructure at polygon right and so so it's easy for us to say like yeah, we have this amazing infrastructure design and it provides safety and, you know, we can have these coordination mechanisms. But like in order for this to work, we really need a lot of uh, of help and investment on the wallet side. And so I, I think like it, to your point, that that's exactly the end state that we need. And, and there's a lot of work that's required on the UI UX front to actually get there. So what do you expect for the aggregation layer in V1 that's launching, I believe, sometime this month, and then as well as for V2 and timeline on that? Yeah, so uh, so for V1, v- V1 is really, um, it's sort of less the aggregation layer and more the unified bridge. So it's what we call the LXOY bridge. And so you'll be able to uh, have fungibility across chains, but you won't have this super fast low latency interoperability at first. And so that's what we want to provide in V2 is the ability to do proof aggregation and the ability to allow chains to safely interoperate um, even at lower latency than, than Ethereum or than proof generation. So, so, so V2 is like, you know, we, we might not get there immediately at V2, but like it will be about accelerating or, you know, lowering latency from uh, a couple minutes to, you know, less than 30 seconds, less than 10 seconds. Eventually we, we, we should be able to get to, to, you know, one to two seconds or, or even below. And then Polygon proof of stake. I know this probably isn't, you know, maybe what you work on the most considering you're previously at mirror, but um, I guess when is that slated to kind of become a Polygon CDK chain that's actually ZK based? Yeah. So, so our proving system uh, optimizations have, have worked, like a, a big motivation for, for doing those has been, to allow for the POS chain to to seamlessly upgrade uh, to a ZKL2. Um, I will say I, I, I don't work on this team, which I, I think is a good thing for me, but um, it's it's really complicated to think about uh, like migrating the bridge of the POS chain to uh, 
basically convert over to the LXOY bridge. And I, I know that the team that's working on this has a really good um, and safe plan to kind of manage risk and and uh, and handle this migration in a secure way. Um, but I think that that's going to be uh, like the major source of complexity in the upgrade because it's a chain that's running and has a ton of activity and you know, we, we, we just have to be really careful in how we manage uh, that upgrade. I had a question about um, sort of coordination infrastructure, right? Um, going back to the point that we had on this fundamental trade-off between latency and liveness, I think a few questions there. The first being, what do you think the ideal coordination infrastructure looks like? Is it like a relay that every Polycon CDK chain like opts into that's crypto economically secured by like the POL token or what do you foresee like the end state of the coordination infrastructure looking like? Are there like maybe like two big like groups of chains like everyone's just using the same thing or is there like 10 different groups depending on whether like you're like a gaming group like a high latency, a low latency DeFi group. What do you foresee that end state looking like? the future will be heterogeneous. So so you will have different chains that have wildly different requirements for liveness and low latency and synchrony. Um, and they will take different approaches to coordination. Um, but I, I do wonder if the, the, the dominant coordination mechanism looks like a relay or it looks like um, sort of like builders. So uh, basically like super nodes that create... Uh, like bundles and and uh, and you know propose uh, blocks to a bunch of different chains at the same time, enable synchrony in that way, or whether it will be like a true shared validity sequencer where you just have the same entity or you know decentralized mechanism that's sequencing a bunch of chains. Um, I think that there's like a lot of room and opportunity for people to build this infrastructure, um, and I think that. Like the design space is very open, and so I'm I'm more just excited to see uh, which direction it goes and and what people decide to build. I had a follow up question on that. Um, I think when the POL token announcement first came out, there was this idea of sort of this I'm gonna butcher the term, but like multi utility token, like you can like restake it to do like different things, like sequencing, uh, proving. Where do you think the POL, the token itself, fits into like? this whole like aggregation layer, if it has a role to play. Yeah. So, so the way that we see it is that, um, stakers will, uh, stake the POL token to participate in, in the ag layer. And so to be able to accept, um, batches and, and proofs from chains and then aggregate those proofs. Um, I think that you could definitely imagine scenarios in which, um, you know, restaked poll is, uh, is also used to crypto economically secure relays and different infrastructure. I, I think that's a very plausible uh, view of the future. Um, you, you, you can imagine a situation in which like restaked ETH is also used to secure the ag layer. And, and, and I, I, I just think that there's a lot of freedom um, to experiment with different designs. And, uh, but, you know, I, I think Paul will be, will be really core to, to, uh, the ecosystem and and to the to the uh, design, but it's not going to infringe on individual chain sovereignty. So so chains are free to use whatever gas token they want, whatever staking token they want. They can sequence uh, however they want, and so th there's no like like the, like there's no penalty that Polygon is extracting from chains. Um, I know that for uh, Optimism and for Arbitrum, there are like revenue require sharing requirements and, and like there's an extractive mechanism for them to redistribute sequencer fees um, back to Arbitrum and back to Optimism. Um, and we just don't think that that's a long-term viable model. And so for us, it's it's much more important to um, to, to focus on purely win-win positive sum uh, relationships with chains. It feels to me like a big piece of the puzzle is going to be really just garnering developer mindshare and getting some of this stuff built and establishing those network effects that you just, you know, talked about a little bit earlier. So what's the game plan there? Just build the best developer tooling you possibly can and provide support, or is there like going to be an incentives program of some sorts for them? Like just any light you can share on that strategy would be cool. Yeah. So, so all, all the above, um, I think that, uh, 
the nice thing about Polygon is that we now have uh, a really, really good technical team and like a foundation to, to build like really innovative and, and kind of best in class products. Um, and so that's combined with like a lot of strength, obviously in BD. And so there are a lot of chains that have already agreed and committed to, to sign on to the ag layer uh, or to join the ag layer. And uh, they're going to be bringing like a ton of capital and, and TVL and, uh, and resources. And so I, I think the idea is that, um, you know, there, there will be incentives and there will be, you know, BD mechanisms that kind of bootstrap this ecosystem. But once the ecosystem gets to uh, like reaches escape velocity in terms of the available liquidity and, and the interesting apps and developers that are building, um, I think that that, then it becomes a lot easier and it becomes sort of a no brainer because it, it, if I'm a chain, um, like I'm not giving up anything by joining the ag layer. Like the, like there's no, the, there's no penalty. There's no uh, like restrictions or, or requirements that are imposed on me. I just get to, to, uh, access shared liquidity and shared state. And so we think that that's like a really easy sell for, uh, for chain developers. Awesome. Well said. Well, Ren, do you have any more questions or is this a good spot to wrap it? I think this is a perfect spot to wrap it. Awesome. Brendan, thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to bring you back here in like a couple months after uh, the Agler actually launches and we can get some updates from you. But seriously, thanks for taking an hour out of your day, man. Yeah. Th thanks for having me. Really appreciated it. This was a great conversation. Really looking forward to the future of the aggregation there and really like how seamless the user experience is going to be. And I think it's going to be a big unlock as crypto still scratching their heads over what interoperability, especially for Ethereum, is looking like right now. Thank you. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I'm excited for the uh, for the future. It'll be great. Do you have any uh, last, uh, I guess, things you want to tell the listeners? You know, maybe where they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, sure. I'm at underscore B Farmer. Um, I also have a mirror blog that I'm uh, going to be publishing more posts on. Um, and then you can always check out the Polygon blog. Uh, you can always reach out to, to anyone from Polygon. And we'd be happy to to chat with you. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for, for the launch of the Ag Layer, for more announcements um, and, uh, and innovative product launches coming soon. So yeah, we're excited. Awesome. Sounds good. I recommend everyone check out Brennan's replies, by the way. There's a bunch of gold in there. Some good conversations and threads. But <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you later, Brennan. Take it easy. Yeah, thanks, guys. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching today's ZeroX Research episode. I wanted to take a second and remind you about our upcoming 2024 Digital Asset Summit in London this March. Seats are limited, so hit the link in the description and use the promo code 0x10 to save 10% on tickets. See you in London.